Hi, and welcome to Evidence for Faith. It is your host, Michael Lane. So glad, so happy you are joining me today as we continue in our series on why are there so many translations of the Bible? Uh, as I've stated many times, uh, frequently when I go places, people ask me questions like, you know, what about this translation? Why do we have this translation? What's, what's the best translation? Or sometimes non-believers ask me if the Word of God is the Word of God, how come you have so many different versions of it? So we're doing this podcast series to eliminate this question and explain the answers behind this. And today we're on our 13th translation as we're going through this series of 20. And this one today is the New Living Translation. It's sometimes just abbreviated and people call it the NLT, the New Living Translation. And as we've been doing throughout this study, what we're going to do is we're going to start by looking and reading Psalm 23. So as we compare Psalm 23 through all the different translations, you can uh, get a grasp of how each one's a little different or unique um, just from the reading of this. So, <clears throat> excuse me, as we begin this one, let's start with Psalm 23 out of the New Living Translation. And it reads, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. So that's Psalm 23, and if you've been listening, you'll see that it's pretty much the same, particularly if you listen to the last lesson, which was on the Living Bible. There's a lot of similarities in, in that um, reading from Psalm 23 of the Living Bible to the New Living Translation. Now, when did, the, when did they make this translation? How old is this one? Well, it was made, uh, um, Tyndall Publishing is the, the publisher of this translation, and they made this in 1996. That was the first edition of it um, being published. And it didn't last very long before they felt like they really needed to change it and um, do some editing on it. So again, in 2004, there was some major um, edits done to this, this translation. It was again edited again. Uh, in 2007 and in 2013 and even 2015. In all cases, in every edition that they've done, they've kept the readability at a sixth grade reading level. So practically anybody in upper elementary, through middle school, high school, college, adult, almost anybody can read this. If you can read English um, and you're beyond like uh, maybe third third grade, maybe fourth grade, you can easily read this translation. It is so easy to read, which is one of the beautiful things about this one. So what type of translation is it? As we've been looking, there's we've been having formal, which is a word for word, and then there's been uh, thought for thought, which is called dynamic. And there's sometimes you see one in between called optimal. Uh, and then you have paraphrasing, like what we've done in the last two lessons, the Message and the Living Bible, where paraphrases. 
This one is dynamic. The New Living Translation is dynamic. It is a thought-for-thought -thought translation. Well, the question then is asked, why do we seem to need it? What was the purpose of doing this? Ah, because Tyndall Publishing had made the Living Bible in the 1970s, and it was so, so accepted. And um, it was the number one best-selling book in America in the early 70s, the number one book. They thought, you know, it is a paraphrase. Maybe we should make a translation out of this. So uh, Kenneth Taylor sought to make a translation, to, to revise, if you will, the Living Bible, which was a paraphrase, into a translation, keeping the readability at the same level. That's why they did this. Now, um, they wanted to make a reliable translation, but it was a, uh, a revamping, if you will, of the Living Bible. So what did they translate from? As we know from many of our translations that we've done, um, they take a lot of material, um, ancient material and stuff. They did this too. This style, remember, this is a dynamic or a thought-for-thought -thought translation. Um, Kenneth Taylor, who was the head of Tyndall Publishing at this point, he, he assembled 90 Bible scholars from various denominations, uh, mostly from seminaries and universities, and from all different denominations. I mean, there were Baptists, there were Nazarenes, there's Roman Catholics. They, they had a, quite a gambit of people put together here to try to get away from any bias having to do with um, denominations like that. And they selected, uh, to make the Old Testament and New Testament here, they selected ancient manuscripts like we see with almost any translation. They used the Masoretic text, they used the Septuagint, the Nestle Alan New Testament, the Samaritan Pentateuch, Dead Sea Scrolls, Latin Vulgate. They had a lot. Um, they used a tremendous amount of information to make this translation. And the 1996 version, when it did come out, was deemed a little bit too biased by most scholars. So they revised it, like I say, to make it more accurate in 2004. And it's gone through a couple more minor um, changes throughout the years. But it was a quite a big, uh, there, was, there was a number of changes they made from 96 to 2004. Even so, the NLT remains on what we would call like a far spectrum uh, of, on the dynamic chart, away from a formal type of translation. Now, if I confused you on that, let me just clear this up. If you had a piece of paper sitting here with a pencil, and on the left side of the paper you, um, you draw a column, that that would be the formal. That's the word-for-word -word translation. Then the next one, after you make that column, the next column over would be what we would call optimal. And then next to that, there would be the dynamic or thought for thought. Optimal is like in between. We've talked about some translations like that, in between. Uh, formal, word-for-word, word, and dynamic, thought-for-thought. Thought. And then on the extreme right would be another column all the way to the edge of the paper, and that's a paraphrase. That was like the Living Bible and the message. This uh, New Living Translation sits just beyond, um, all the way to the extreme right, uh, away from the formal, on the dynamic. Getting close to paraphrase, but it's not a paraphrase. Yes, this is not a paraphrase. This is a true translation. 90 scholars worked on this. So, but it's, it's way over on the extreme um, right-hand side on, on a chart like that. So that's how this thing was put together. Now, there are some very unique features about this Bible. Um, it is, for one, um, 
it's so readable. I mean, that's that's the thing people love about this translation. It is so easy to understand. It's got one of the lowest for for a, a good translation. It's got one of the lowest readabilities. So anybody practically can pick this thing up and use it. Many times when I'm speaking to um, a, groups of children. I often will use this because it is so simple for them to understand, yet it's a translation. But it does have some other really interesting features to it. Uh, some are taking the ancient culture, the Jewish and um, the Hebrew, um, and even like some of the Greek and, and Roman culture, they, they put it into modern equivalents. Now, what I mean by that, for instance, when you come across something in other translations, like an English standard or New American standard where it mentions time and, and the date of something, instead of using the ancient system, like the, the Jewish calendar or, or the way they told time, like the third hour or the, the fourth watch or something like that, they use a present-day calendar we have here in the country, and they use a modern clock. And they tell you, like, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock. They do it that way. Monetary units, they do not use, like, uh, shekels or denarius, um, things like this, they use ordinary American currency, dollars, etc. Uh, measurements that they use, instead of doing something like in cubits, they use the American equivalent, uh, not the metric system, but the American, like inches, um, feet, yards, etc. They will do that. And even metaphors have been expanded to um, into an American style of understanding. So it's very, very easy for kids to understand this thing. And that was their their purpose in trying to do it. But in doing so, this when you do this, you're going to end up having some problems. And one of the problems of, of a few that I'm going to mention, there is a great deal of paraphrasing in the passages. And many of them are sort of hidden unless you're really looking for it like with um, ancient manuscripts or something, or reading actually Hebrew or Greek, you're, you don't notice these in many cases right away. And because of that, it can falsely give the reader a different meaning than what the passage actually was intended to mean. Um, actually, this is not a problem just with this translation. This is going to happen almost any time you do a dynamic or thought-for-thought thought translation, because you're taking the ancient language, even if you have 90 scholars working, they're trying to take this um, from the, the absolute literal interpretation to make it a thought-for-thought, thought. so they're taking, instead of going word-by-word, word, they're taking sentences or even paragraphs at times, and they're trying to, okay, what's God trying to get across here? But in doing so, with, there's no way you can avoid this. By doing this, you are letting some of your personal bias, you're taking your interpretation of what God says and interpreting into a thought-for-thought thought method of translation. So it's common in dynamic translations. We're going to see this in the future with some other ones. Um, also, they try to get into the meaning of the words. They say this frequently, like in the preface of their Bible, they try to get into the meaning of the words. The problem here, again, is the same thing. You're going to get too much interpretation and not enough translation. Instead of going word by word, they're trying to, to put it down as to what God's saying, but in doing so, they're letting their personal bias get into it. You just can't avoid that in a dynamic thought-for-thought thought translation. It's just one of the things you have to accept. So this thought-for-thought thought translation, um, which required the editors and um, the translators, what it required was they had to get into the mindset, we've talked about this before, of the original authors. 
um, the original writers um, who put this down, they're trying to, okay, how would John write this being a fisherman? How would Peter write this being a fisherman? How would um, Paul write this being a scholar? How would Luke write this being a physician? So they try and do that type of thing. And this methodology usually leads to bias because you're taking some some information and you're putting your interpretation into it. It's just one of the problems you have with that. And lastly, many passages, and this is to me the most serious problem with this, um, this style in particular, many passages have really lost their original intent due to them, uh, the, the translation team, taking a paragraph from an ancient text, one paragraph, and to make it really understandable, they chop it up into numerous paragraphs. I know some examples where they have taken one paragraph and in the oldest manuscripts and in the NLT, it appears as as, as many as nine paragraphs. Now, you might be thinking, what difference does that make? It makes a lot of difference because if you are looking at a paragraph, the opening sentence of a paragraph is the thesis sentence or the topic sentence. So in the ancient manuscript, you see there's a paragraph. The thesis statement um, at the beginning tells us what all, this, all the sentences following pertain to that sentence. When you chop this up, you have now reduced the thesis statement for all of these verses, and you're taking verses and making them new thesis statements for each new paragraph you make. Thus, you can lose the actual content. You've all heard about, well, people take this verse out of context. This is one way this happens. Many times people have come up to me and they have asked me questions, what's the meaning of this verse? And I've mentioned this before. Before I will give an answer many times, I will look up to see what was in the oldest manuscripts, where is this verse in relation to the paragraph it's contained in. Then I look at the first sentence, the thesis sentence of the paragraph, and I can see what the context is. Well, in a dynamic or a thought-for-thought translation that they've chopped up the paragraphs, you can't do that. Thus, you lose, sometimes you will lose the actual context of what is being expressed, what God is trying to tell us. That's one of the problems, and that's a serious problem, in my opinion, that you see with dynamics, and this one in particular. Now, with that said, let's take a look at Titus chapter 2, 11 through 13 out of the New Living Translation and see how it compares to the other translations because this is a very important doctrinal statement. It reads, and it's Titus again, Titus 2, 11 through 13, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with self-control, right conduct, and devotion to God, while we look forward to that wonderful event when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. Now, you might have noticed some similarity between this and the Living Bible that we did in our last lessons, but remember, that was a paraphrase. This is a translation. So, but there are some really interesting or, or similar uh, statements and stuff in this Bible to that one. As I said at the beginning, this is sort of an upgrade, taking a living Bible and making it into a uh, translation. Now, this Bible has been endorsed by many, many excellent and popular evangelical ministers, in particular, um, Chuck Swindoll, who has a radio program, um, has written many books, 
he has just recently put out his own study Bible, and he used this Bible, this translation, as the basis of his study Bible. Some of his peers sort of like, hmm, why are you using this this really dynamic uh, translation for this? But one of the reasons I'm sure he chose was because it is so easy to understand. It is an excellent translation for children and for people who are not necessarily searching for deep meaning in some sections. Did you catch that? Because that's important. People who are not searching for deep meaning in some sections, this is a great, great Bible to use. It's so easy to understand. And as I said, when often when I speak with young people, um, children in groups and stuff, if I'm going to a, a homeschool conference or just speaking to a, a big group of um, children, this is often a translation I'll use because it is so easy to understand. But because of the addition of paragraphs, oh my gosh, how they have made so many it's difficult to establish the deep meaning and intent of the passages. It is so easy for verses to be taken out of context. It can also lead to a loss of Jewish cultural understanding. Um, because you've Americanized so many things, sometimes you lose some of the cultural understandings of this. Yet, it is a solid translation for beginners and non-scholarly students of the Bible. I have recommended this um, at times for like uh, students in middle school to use as a translation. I've handed out free copies to middle school or upper elementary schools of the Bible. People who have accepted Christ, they don't have a Bible. And I, this is one I often give them. For one, it's easy to understand. I like to give them actually the life application NLT, which is a study Bible, one of the most popular. Matter of fact, I think it is today. I read recently that the Life Application Study Bible series, it's available in many translations, um, it is excellent in, in this case because it helps you see some of the, um, some a few of the areas where they have taken, um, showed some bias and it tries to explain it. But anyway, this is a good translation, but it does have its limitations, as I say. For an adult who's really a serious Bible student, um, you can probably find a much better translation to use that will give you more meaning. Um, but overall, it's a good translation, the NLT. And I, like I said, I use it frequently. Well, I hope this lesson today has helped you understand this translation. And, and um, as we continue going through this, we're going to be looking at many more as we continue as our our little tour here going through 20 different translations. And this one is extremely popular, by the way. It's one of the best-selling translations. I think it's in the top five uh, the last couple of years. Um, it is very, very popular with uh, lay people. So, in any way, I hope you enjoyed that. And until we meet again, please take care and may God bless. Thanks for tuning in. And thank you to our donors who make this program possible. You can help us produce the next course by becoming a donor at evidenceforfaith.org give or use the links in the description. Don't forget to leave a comment, a review, likes, and shares to feed the algorithm and help others find this content. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.